we are not passing the peace right now, but we can still extend peace to one another. Um, but if you find in the moments ahead that you would still like a, a bathroom break or a coffee break or just need a, a bit of fresh air, that's okay too. Um, normally the passing of the peace is the time to do that. But hopefully afterwards you can stay and we can um, converse with each other and greet each other and pass peace then as well. Over the last couple of weeks, I have made calls and sent emails to my state senator and other public officials. That might not seem like a big deal or very costly, but I confess it felt that way when I finally added my senator's uh, phone number to my phone's contact list. <laughs> I tell you this not to pat myself on the back or to expect you to do so either but to normalize this kind of civic action for those of us who were cultured to remain silent, not mixing faith and politics, if you will, which of course we know is a bunch of hogwash when we actually read the gospels in light of their political and social context. This season of life for me has also included an increased engagement with the denomination in which I am ordained, knowing that raising my voice and standing with all of my siblings in Christ may very well cost me and those that I partner with in ministry. I have felt this as I've sent letters to the president of our denomination and the various board members that are making decisions on my behalf and my siblings' behalf. And as I've made some shifts as I present myself at larger gatherings among colleagues that very may disagree with me. There is a cost to discipleship. Many, many people have pointed this out, and among them, of course, is theologian Dietrich Bonhoeffer. But the Tuesday's subversive witness group that is meeting right now honed in on this during the first discussion together as Dominique Gilliard named the central question at the heart of Scripture. He says, Is the gospel still good news when it costs you something? In other words, do we consider bearing witness to the gospel actually being good news if it could cost us everything? I think these are the economics of Jesus and of the good road that we're going to see in our passage today from Luke chapter 6. But before we get there, I want to just remind us of where we we're last week in our text. Brittany spoke on chapter 5, where Jesus challenges our notions of belonging, which include not only the marginalized and oppressed, but also those who have upheld the empire and acted as oppressors, because belonging in the kingdom is extended to everyone. In today's text, we're going to see Jesus expand upon his teaching around belonging speaking to the economics of care or of belonging in the kingdom. In meeting with my spiritual director last Sunday, she made a profound statement in observing and naming my current reality. She said this, the economics of care do not follow logical mathematics. The economics of care do not follow logical mathematics. You see, she was pointing out that sometimes we let go or we subtract even the intangible, like our perceptions, and as a, res as a result, we experience gain. 
Last week's text portraying this gathering around a table with those that both we might find it easy to gather with and with those we'd maybe rather not, calls us to loosen our grip on the us versus them, the imperial logic that continues to hold us hostage today. In listening to a lecture last week by Willie James Jennings, I was confronted with the reality that we have all been, as he says, trained in anti-relational ways of seeing land, place, and people. As a disciple of Jesus, I believe we are unlearning and being retrained or reformed as we follow Jesus in being relational on the good road, where the economics do not follow logical mathematics. Today's text is from Luke chapter 6, verses 27 through 37, and I will be reading as we have been been doing so in this series from the First Nations version. So when I get there, you're welcome to follow along if you'd like in whatever version you have, but I would also just encourage you to listen. The context before this, though, is that Jesus has been on a journey. He's been sharing the good news. He's been walking the good road. And while specifically instructing the disciples, he's also expanding the teaching and healing those along the way as he launches those same disciples whom he had called into ministry, into the hearing of the people. We should note that up until this point in our text, he has yet to give these disciples a clear identity or purpose. And the section then that comes right before our text today is the familiar Beatitudes, those blessings and woes, if you will. So that's where our text picks up today. Luke chapter 6, verses 27 through 37. Hear me, you who are listening now. I am telling you to love your enemies, to do good to the ones who look down on you, return blessing for cursing, and send up good prayers for the ones who give you trouble and pain. If someone slaps you on the side of your face, show the strength of your heart and offer the other side. In the same way, if a thief takes your coat, offer your shirt also. When someone is in need and asks, do not hold back. Do what you can to help. If someone takes what is yours, let them keep it. Here's another way to see what I'm saying. Help others in the same way you would want them to help you. Where is the honor in only showing love to the ones who do the same for you? Why should you be given respect for doing good to the ones who do you good or for lending only to the ones who can repay you? Even tribal tax collectors and outcasts do these things. Instead, show love and respect to your enemies. Help them when they are in need without asking them to repay you. This will show that you are children of your Father from above, for he is kind and takes pity on the ones with bad hearts, even when they do not thank him for it. So then show kindness to others in the same way your Father, the Great Spirit. 
This is the word of the Lord. So Jesus is contradicting the negative sanctions of those who were of low regard or considered outsiders within this system of the institutionalized worldview of the Pharisees and the scribes. In this system, social sanctions were enacted through choice of table companions toward those who don't fast and toward those who don't observe the Sabbath. Now Jesus is defining conditions of existence within the community of his followers, giving shape to behaviors that will become second nature for those who walk the good road and within the economics of care and kingdom belonging. These conditions may be summed up with three interwoven actions. And while they might seem nice and tidy and a bit prescriptive, they are much more complex and challenging than that. This whole section really packs a pretty big punch, if you will. The three things are to love your enemies, do good, and give true gifts. I want to take a few moments and begin to unpack these three things, leaving plenty of room, as I prefer to do, for us to process and interpret the implications in our individual and collective life together. So the first thing, love your enemies. Here's that punch for you. The good news is that there is a better way. There is a good road, and it is the way of love. And this way is not passive, but active. Jesus provides examples in our text. Return blessing for curse. When struck, show the strength of your heart. Show your courage and turn the other side. Send up good prayers for the ones who give you pain and trouble. This can be collective pain and trouble. I don't know if I've mentioned this before. I feel like I have, and some of you may already know this bit about Brittany and I, but we have a habit of exchanging what we like to consider confession text threads from time to time. This week's confessional text included being appalled while overhearing a pastor on the phone speaking poorly about his congregation and how he was going to show them his leadership over a particular matter, despite not having the backing of his church elders. Let's just say Brittany and I had some interesting texts exchanged back and forth. But even then, we took a moment to send up good prayers for this sibling in Christ. Here's the thing. We have all been shaped by oppressive and colonizing forces. Even and sometimes especially in the church. As followers of Jesus, we remember that colonizing forces do not teach us to love our enemies. Rather, they aim to create an us versus them. This was displayed in Jesus' day through village subsistence culture, a culture that was fixated on defining boundaries of the our group, and then further enforcing it through mandating the nature of what was deemed appropriate for interactions with those outside the group. Jesus not only condemns the way this concern with boundaries is manifested, but he himself engages in practices such as extending forgiveness and healing that restores community status. 
We saw this in last week's text. We might say that the economics that Jesus displays include advocating for much more porous boundaries, if you will, in which the primary behavior is the refusal to treat others as though they are enemies. I believe the refusal is upheld by the way in which we actually live with grief. In this season, I've been recognizing the way in which I live and move with grief is an integral part of life and survival and flourishing. This way of life includes the refusal to treat others as if they are enemies. And in the process, I not only anticipate grief and engage it, I know it's coming. Even though I may have a natural aversion toward it, I know I will engage. Valerie Kaur, in her book, See No Stranger, describes this idea of porous boundaries as she talks about grief. I am going to jump around here and read just a little bit for you what she has to say. Grief is the price of love. Loving someone means that one day there will be grieving. They will leave you or you will leave them. The more you love, the more you grieve. You must keep the borders of your heart porous in order to love well. Grieving is an act of surrender. The wisdom across faith traditions is that grieving is done in community. Grief has no end, really. There's no fixing it, only bearing it. Some forms of grief are impossible to bear alone. Telling the story is the prerequisite to justice. But for the story to matter, someone we trust must be listening. This is what Brittany was talking about at the table last week. Grieving together, bearing the unbearable, is an act of transformation. It brings survivors into the healing process, creates new relationships, and energizes the demand for justice. We come to know people when we grieve with them through stories and rituals. It is how we build real solidarity, the kind that shows us the world we want to live in and our role in fighting for it. The refusal to treat others as enemies calls for porous boundaries and to engage in grief, which is intrinsically bound to this way of love. Second thing, do good. Disrupting what might be best described as patronal systems, Jesus shows us that kinship is extended even to enemies. Within patronal systems, there is an imbalance because those in need, those who are the clients, are controlled by those who are the benefactors or patrons to whom they are indebted, even if it is a debt of loyalty or honor. But that loyalty or honor is still useful for the patron. It creates an imbalance of, of power that is shifted toward the patron or benefactor. 
The patronal system was the key organizing factor of the Roman Empire in Jesus' day, which, as commentator Joel Green reminds us, was an intrusive, suffocating web of obligation with resources deployed so as to maintain social equilibrium with the elite in every village, town, city, and region, and of the empire as a whole, given esteem, do them in light of their role as benefactors. If God and not the emperor is identified as the great benefactor or the patron, and if people are to act without regard to cycles of obligation, then the politics of the empire are sabotaged. And I would add, the economics of the empire are also sabotaged. Jesus instructs to give to those in need without expectation of return. This might be best described as general reciprocity. Jesus instructs hearers to give or to do good not only to each other, but to enemies, as they would to those in their immediate kinship group. To do good not only to each other, but to enemies as they would to those in their immediate kinship group. He's rejecting a life of obligation and debt that was standard within this system. He's making an economic statement grounded in his vision of a transformed system of social relations, grounded in his portrayal of God, who is merciful. So he says, when someone in need asks, do not hold back. In my experience, this is a double-edged hang-up for us. One edge is that we hold back in fear of getting played, if you will. I mean, how many times have I passed those asking for help at the Allisonville and 465 interchange? How many times? But Jesus says, don't worry about getting played. Because here's the thing. Treating those as kin, which is already a radical concept, okay, also means that these actions cannot be regarded as stealing or even begging. That's one edge. The other edge is that something I've come to recognize through my relationship and my work, especially with partners in Haiti, there is a vulnerability in the asking. Something has brought that person in front of me to that point. This is true not only in relationships in Haiti, but it is just as true in the suburban, particularly white culture experience, where classism is clearly playing out. What has become clear, though, is that there is an inherent beauty in the asking. You see, there's goodness in being truly together in community, where the needs of one impact those around them, and vice versa. There is mutuality, or what might be known as mutual reciprocity. We're going to come back to that next week in the text. 
Jesus continues saying, help others in the same way that you would want them to help you. It's the golden rule. What is cited as the golden rule. Treat each other as if they are a part of who you are. This is also familiar in what we hear in the Nunguni Bantu term uh, that says Ubuntu, which means humanity. Sometimes it's translated as I am because we are. And we grow in this way of life and humanity as we engage in the economics of Jesus on the good road and in relationship with our neighbors. And the third thing is give true gifts. And this is an invitation and a challenge to us. Jesus speaks to the honor bound in giving true gifts. Today is not the day to get me all fired up on this concept of honor due to my own current family white culture elder woes that I'm dealing with. So we're not going to get me all fired up about honor. But I hear Jesus getting real personal here about the nature of honor, something we all might consider giving some additional, additional attention to these days. Jesus says, show that you are children of the Father from above, or the Father, the Great Spirit, taking pity on the ones with bad hearts. This sounds a little bit strange to us, maybe. But we can read this in light of Mark 2, 5, which speaks to those who are controlled by broken ways and the things in the heart that are not true to Creator's good road. Jesus says, extend compassion, have mercy, do justice. This is something I have witnessed in the life and work of Brian Stevenson. If you do not know who Brian Stevenson is, he is a lawyer and advocate who founded the Equal Justice Initiative. And in the documentary, True Justice, Brian shares a truth about our identity as followers of Jesus. He is speaking about the modern-day slavery system carried out through mass incarceration and the death penalty, a system in which enemies are then justified through criminalization. However, I believe his statement holds true across the board and extends to anyone we might be tempted to perceive as enemies. This is what he says. How we treat the incarcerated and the condemned says something about us, too. Let me repeat that so it might sink deep into our bodies. How we treat the incarcerated and the condemned says something about us, too. Indeed, the economics of care and of kingdom belonging do not follow logical mathematics. When all three in this triad of love and doing good and giving exist and are exercised freely, without calculation, without expectation of return, we are living 
a countercultural existence. Under colonizing rule, we follow Jesus on the good road, along which the economics of care and belonging in the kingdom invite us to live an inverted understanding of the social and political world to the sabotage of the empire. I want to leave us with just one question this week to ponder. A question that is also pertinent as we head into some discussion after the gathering, if you're able to stay. It is this. What might we let go of or subtract, even the intangible, even our perceptions, and as a result, experience gain or a deeper sense of care and belonging in the kingdom of God? Amen.